Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Good seeing everybody this morning, and uh, good to share God's Word with you this morning as well. So, we have an amazing passage, um, and Pastor Ben gave a great message on seeds today, um, more seeds, um, but there's a slightly different um, emphasis here. And I think it'll be encouraging to all of us. And I do believe that God wants to reveal something to us. And I'm not speaking just subjectively, talking about this passage, because uh, God says those things which are not revealed, well, He's revealing them. Those things that are not disclosed, well, He's disclosing them. And part of the reason Jesus is speaking in parables, and part of the reason why Jesus is performing all these miracles, as you see in the Gospels, is because He's communicating truth to us. So if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, we will grow in more wisdom and more knowledge, and you'll begin to understand the dynamics of God's kingdom, and begin to understand uh, in a deeper level what He is doing. Uh, But if we don't have ears to hear and eyes to see, even the little that we have will be taken away from us. And that's how Jesus prefaces these two parables. And I think it's important then to... Um, open up in a word of prayer so that God will grant us illumination. Um, but as we do that, uh, we should have faith that God will communicate truth to us. And this is so important because the way God works is often very paradoxical, and we'll see that that is the tenor of Scripture. And I pray that by the end, uh, we would be characterized by incredible faithfulness, that we would not lose heart. Um, and that we would be also characterized by incredible faith, which means to take risks because we know uh, that God is faithful to us. So let's uh, open up in a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we pray that you would grant us illumination by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. Uh, we thank you that you have given us your word. And we thank you that you've given us the spirit that searches even the depth of God and therefore able to communicate truth to us. I pray just as you wrote in your word that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, soft hearts to receive. And we pray, Lord God, that your word be planted in our hearts and that there would be a great harvest in our lives and everything that we commit ourselves to. Uh, we pray for um, fruitfulness to take place, that there would be a great harvest that redounds to your glory. Uh, but for this morning, we pray that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Ears to hear, and eyes uh, to see, hearts to receive, and I say this is so important, and the reason why it is so important is because the message that Jesus delivers is not always intuitive to even the people of God. So even the people of God have to grow in the way that God works. And that takes effort. It takes a work of God's grace. It takes the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so from season to season, well, even more than season to season, we need to be reminded that God's ways are not our ways. And the way God works is sometimes hidden from our sight. But that doesn't mean He's not working. In fact, He is working. We just need eyes to see ears to hear, hearts to receive. Let me give you a couple of examples of how this might work. When I was a young pastor, back in the day, um, I remember going to see a movie, and if my memory is correct, I think I went to see Matrix. 
And I was sitting there, and um, I got there on time. That, I, I don't always get to movies on time. I got on time, so I was able to see the coming attractions. And one of the movies that was about to play was, and you can, you can just Google this to see the date, I don't even remember, was the movie Bruce Almighty. And uh, if you don't know what the movie Bruce Almighty is about, let me give you a brief synopsis, but full disclosure, I have not seen the movie, but I know what it is about. Uh, but I think God spoke to me as I was watching this trailer. So Bruce Almighty is this guy who complains. And he's complaining to God, and the person who plays that role is Jim Carrey, and the person who plays God is Morgan Friedman. And God gets fed up with Jim Carrey, who's complaining and says, well, you think you can do a better job? Why don't I give you my job and make you have the powers of God? And of course, you can imagine Jim Carrey being uh, this comedic actor. The movie is a comedy. As I was watching this trailer, something dawned upon me. And what dawned upon me was, if I had the power of God, what would I do? And I thought I would extend that invitation to my congregation. So I imagined in my mind, if I asked my congregants, if you had the power of God, what would you do? And I can kind of intuit um, what they would say. Uh, people who are really compassionate and in the medical profession, I think they would say, you know what, I've uh, been at the bedside of people who have cancer, and this is a horrific disease. If I had the power of God, I would cure cancer, and I would cure all diseases. Um, other people who were perhaps um, working in a nonprofit and working with microloans, they would say, if I had the power of God, I would get to the heart of the issue. And for them, the heart of the issue might be, I would give finances to people and create sustainable businesses. And if I had the power of God, I would put my power there. Other people who are maybe empathetic, I thought to myself, well, they would say, oh, what it's really about is the human connection. Um, I would create community, beautiful community, where all people are accepted and loved and known and forgiven and built up. If I had the power of God, I would do that. And so as a young pastor, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about all this, and I thought to myself, well, this was not a hypothetical situation, uh, a hypothetical question to Jesus in the scriptures. So he had the power of God. He is God, the second person of the Trinity. What did he do? Well, if you look at the life of Jesus, he did a lot of things. Uh, he healed those who were sick. So those who gave that answer, they're on firm ground. Uh, the leper comes, Jesus uh, becomes unclean, and he makes that person clean. There's a blind person, takes that person's blindness away, and gives that person sight. Uh, gives education, he's speaking in parables here. He's giving people illumination. Uh, but in his final hour, what does he do? He has the power of God, and he uses that power, and I'm sure no one would have ever thought of this. Okay? He uses that power to allow himself to die upon the cross. I wonder how many of my congregants would say, well, if I had the power of God, I would endure death upon a cross. That's what I would do with the power of God. But that's exactly what Jesus has done. What's the point? The point there is the way God works is counterintuitive. The way God works is higher than we can think. Um, the way God works sometimes confuses us. And we're not able to go there with God because we just don't see what He is doing. But He is doing something because it is through His alienization we have fellowship. 
it's through his becoming a curse on the cross, and he has become a curse on the cross, that we have benediction and blessing. It's because he was rejected upon that cross, we have acceptance. It's because he died, we can find life and have life and live life abundantly, as Jesus says he, he has come to do in John chapter 10, 10. But the only reason he can actually say that is because he knows what he will do. And what he will do is go to the cross. You see, it's very paradoxical. We would have never thought that. But that's exactly what Jesus has done. And it's important to remember that. Because oftentimes when we live our lives, we're confused and we're confounded. And we sometimes question whether God is working. But Scripture is very clear. God is working. It's just hidden. Uh, he's there. He's working. He's active. He's, he's mending. He's building. He's connecting. He's strengthening. He's always doing that. Sometimes we just don't see it because He works in unexpected ways. Let me give you another example. This is not rooted in a movie trailer. It's rooted in the narrative of Scripture. And the best place that I can take you is the story of Gideon. And if you look at the story of Gideon very carefully, we see that Gideon lives in a very difficult time. He's living in the time of the judges. And I would argue from Israel's history, one of the darkest times in Israel's history is the time of the judges. And there's this cycle of uh, oppression and a cycle of the Israelites being enslaved by the people around them. And so at this time, uh, the Midianites uh, are growing powerful and they're threatening uh, the people of God. And the leaders aren't really doing anything because they're powerless and they don't exactly know what to do. And so God raises up people like Gideon. Uh, but who is Gideon? Well, Gideon is this average guy. He, he's not anyone spectacular. And if you were Gideon's neighbor, you would probably not assume that God would use someone like Gideon to throw off the yoke of the Midianites. He's not your first pick. He's not even your third pick. He's not even your tenth pick. He's probably your last pick. And when I say that he's probably your last pick, we're on solid exegetical ground. Uh, because when we look at the narrative in Judges chapter 6, uh, Gideon himself is surprised uh, when God comes to him. It's like, why would you use me? Let me make my case why you should not use me. You shouldn't use me because I'm, the, I'm from the weakest clan of Israel. And I'm from the weakest family of Israel. And not only that, I'm a nobody. So if someone is going to be used to throw off the yoke of the Midianites, it's not the least. It should be the greatest. And so Gideon doesn't know exactly what to do. But there's enough faith in him that he will... Ask God for confirmation and ask God for confirmation again. God confirms it and there's enough faith in him because God confirms it that he's going to do it. And he says, all right, at least I have 32,000 men. Uh, just enough for a tactical maneuver. Uh, but then God says, well, you're, you have too many men to win. I mean, which is, which is very paradoxical. Uh, people, people uh, and, you know, anything about military history, manpower is very important. You have enough people to win, not... Uh, you have too many people to win. God says, well, send, send away 22,000. So there's 10,000 left. Okay, all right. 10,000. Maybe there's going to be even a more strategic maneuver where you can only use 10,000. And God says, well, you still have too many people. And so at the end, his army is reduced to 300. Now, this is the real paradox. He's weak enough to win. Not strong enough to win. He's weak enough to win. You see... 
The way God works is not the way we think. Uh, even amongst believers, the Apostle Paul had to learn um, that that thorn in his flesh that God gave him was not meant to distract him from his missionary journeys to really shape and change the fabric of history and the world. And the Apostle Paul, through his preaching, did change the world. That thorn was given to him so that he won't become proud. That thorn was given to him so that he would learn to depend. That thorn was given to him so that he doesn't build the house, that, that the Lord builds the house. Because if the Lord builds the house, it will last forever and ever and ever. And so God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. Um, and that's when you're strong. And so even mature believers have to learn this lesson that God works in paradoxes. And when you look at this text, it's very paradoxical. He's talking about seeds. Um, you can have two handfuls of seed and below them will just fly away. And you think they're so inconsequential, they're so small, um, they're nothing. Uh, but when you plant them, um, all of a sudden something begins to happen, right? And they begin to germinate and they begin to grow and all of a sudden there's life. And not just life, it's all over the place. It's teeming with life. I have an illustration of this. Uh, you know, we have a house in Long Island and um, our uh, landscaper, he's not the most conscientious person. Um, and uh, Mimi and I are always kind of busy. We go there not to garden, but we go there to rest and do some woodworking. So we didn't really pay attention um, too much. And because we didn't pay attention, I went out one day and the weeds were all over the place. In fact, um, there was this one weed that was like this thick. And I was like, did we plant something there? Is, it, is, that, it, it, is, is that a berry tree? Did we plant that maybe? He's like, no, we didn't plant anything. Um, it was actually a weed. So some seed must have blown there and um, uh, planted itself in our front garden, destroying our other plants, and it became enormous. And I was like, maybe bring the shovel. I'm going to battle. <laughs> so I broke the shovel because this thing is so deep. <clears throat> Not only did I break the shovel, um, and I wish I had my camera because this is, I was like, maybe this is a spiritual lesson. <laughs> because I finally dug it out. And the root was deep and the root was strong. And when the root came out, it looked like a man. I was like, maybe this thing looks like a demon or something. It's killing our plants and I dug it out and it's no more. Uh, I will take a picture because I didn't throw it away. Uh, it's, it's still my front garden. I saw it yesterday. And so I will take a picture and show you. And that shows you the power of seeds for good or for ill. And so what Jesus is saying is you don't know what's taking place. It's beneath our detection. We don't see it with our eyes. We don't think about it. But soon enough, those seeds grow. And just as Pastor Ben preached last week, even to a hundredfold they grow. That's the first part. So I want you to know that the work that we do is never in vain because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The labor that we do unto the Lord, those seeds that we sow will produce a righteous harvest in God's perfect time, whether we see it or we don't. So the words that we say, the lives that we touch, um, the people that we love, the people's feet that we wash, well, you will bless them. 
The devil's heart. I'll give you a story about this. I remember being on vacation one day. There was a young couple, and they were on vacation together. And my thought was, I don't really know them, but I'll tell them I'm a pastor. And I said, if you're serious, you guys should get married. And don't fool around. Um, and they have no idea who I am or anything like that. I get an email like 10 years later. It was Pastor John. Uh, I remember you sent me your email. I want you to know that I'm doing well. And I'm in Washington. And I'm a lawyer. And I married that woman. And I'm so happy that I attend church. That was like a five-minute conversation. And uh, that was a seed. I didn't see it coming. One day, someone emails me. I was like, who is this guy? His name is Jonathan. Who is this guy, Jonathan? So I emailed some friends, like, do you know this guy? And no one knew who he was. And they, I remember, like, I said, who are you? I said, oh, yeah, we had a little conversation on the bus um, in Mexico. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did remember. I told you guys to get married, didn't I? And he's like, yeah. And so we did. So they got married. Seeds scatter. You don't see it. You don't detect it. But because God is the grower of these seeds, they grow. Right now, there's another parable because Jesus wants to give a slightly different perspective on seeds. Now, what is emphasized in the next parable is the smallness of the seed. So, Jesus says, when you sow seeds, it's like sowing a mustard seed. And phenomenologically, in the ancient world, people believe that the mustard seed was the smallest seed. So, you know, scientifically, it's probably not the smallest seed, but to the naked eye, at that time period, it is the smallest seed. And yet, at the same time, it becomes huge. It becomes so enormous that the birds are able to perch on it and find rest. So the point there is something small becomes something very, very big. And I think Jesus wants his audience, especially his Jewish audience, to understand what's going on here. Because there's a lot of theology that is loaded into this, this parable of the mustard seed. Uh, because if you look at the language here, this mustard seed grows. And it grows to such a point that um, the, the branches are so big that the birds can perch in its shade. And that's language taken from the Old Testament. Uh, because if you look at the Old Testament, there's all these prophecies that there would be this great tree. This cosmic tree. It's written in the book of um, uh, Ezekiel. Uh, and it's written in the prophecies of Daniel that there would be this cosmic tree. And this cosmic tree would grow and be powerful and be enormous. And that its branches would sprout out. <clears throat> and the branches would sprout out so much that the birds of the air will be able to find rest, just as it says in this passage. But not just the birds of the air. But the beasts of the field will come as well, and they would find shade under this tree. And so as we progress in Revelation, it's not just the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, but the nations will come and find rest. And so when we look at uh, Ezekiel's uh, prophecies in chapter 47 of what's going to happen uh, in the future to the temple and the Messiah, there will be a trickle of water, and that trickle of water will become deeper and deeper. At one point, it's ankle deep, then it's waist deep, then it's a river that you cannot ford. And the tree, and the trees of life are there, and it's healing. The, the leaves are healing for the nations. And that beautiful vision continues to the book of Revelation. Uh, so there is this missional component. So when the seed of the gospel grows, it brings rest to people. When the seed of the gospel grows, it reaches the nation. The seed of the gospel grows. There is salvation for the people of God around the world. And we see that. 
And the reason why we're here today in the East Village, worshiping God, is because that seed of the gospel which people did not see. They did not detect it, but it grew. And it became so enormous that it has blessed the world. Now, there's more trees in the Bible. Um, ultimately speaking, we see that Jesus was hung upon a tree. And the reason why all of these things are so is because the Lord Jesus died upon the cross. And because of the cross of Christ, there is blessing for the people of God. For the whole world, there is good news for the whole world. Something small becomes something enormous. And what is enormous is the good news of Jesus for the nations. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And as we follow the gospel story, and as we follow the book of Acts, they're all connected, we see that um, reality uh, come to fruit as more and more people come to know who God is. So what does this mean um, for all of us? And I think what it means for all of us is a two-part calling. And we're going to close with this two-part calling. Number one, God is calling us to have faith. Okay? God is calling us to have faith. Now, what does that mean, that God is calling us to have faith? Let me try to be as direct as possible by using the language of the book of Zechariah. And that is... Don't despise small things. I'll say that again. Don't despise small things. Now, the book of Zechariah, a few years ago, has been my meditation. Um, I've gone to the book of Zechariah countless times, and it has blessed me immensely in so many different ways. Let me give you a little bit of context and why it's I think Zechariah is saying to his people, don't despise small things. You see, in 587, um, and you got to go to that date because that's when the temple is destroyed. Um, the temple is destroyed and the center of Israel's religion is now gone. The temple of the ancient world was like the incarnation of God because that's where God dwelt. That was the pride, the center of worship for Israel. When it was destroyed, they did not know what to do. Uh, not only was it destroyed, the city was destroyed, and the people were brought into exile. But just as the prophet Jeremiah prophesied, uh, God would allow them to come back in 70 years. So when that 70 years hit, uh, God raised up a Persian king by the name of Cyrus to allow the people to go back. And the first generation of the faithful went back, and they began to rebuild. Uh, and the first thing that they rebuilt was not the walls. The first thing that they built was a platform and an altar because they understood uh, something very spiritual. And that was the reason why they're in exile. It's not because of their lack of fortification. The reason why they are in exile and everything is destroyed is because of their lack of faith and love and worship for God and their idolatry. So if they're going to start something, they're going to do it right. And they're going to start right by building this altar of worship unto God and the wall they will think about later. As they're building then, uh, things are going well. And the people are living by faith, but there are people around that begin to attack them and assault them. And so they begin to have fear in their heart, even though they started off so well. 
and all these false suits are thrown against them, and so the political parties get involved, and the king of Persia says, stop building because you are rebelling. But Osiris is no longer there. And so for 16 years, they stop building and they live their own lives because they're just too afraid to build. Uh, but then God raises up two prophets by the name of Haggai and Zechariah. And a certain amount of people hear Zechariah and a certain amount of people hear Haggai. And they begin to rebuild, but the work is still slow. There's a lot of fear. No wonder Zechariah says, I want you to know this city without glory, this city without the wall. This is what the Lord says. I have a fire around you and I have your glory in your midst. And certain people start to build, but not everyone is building. But at least a trickle of people are building. And that is when Zechariah says, don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small. So it's this, this little group of people do a little bit of work. To them, don't despise small beginnings. You see how that maps out nicely to a passage like Mark chapter 4. Seeds sown indiscriminately, tiny little things. It may seem like nothing, but don't despise small things. Don't despise small beginnings. Because those things become enormous. Now, let me speak as an educator to underline this point a little more. Um, as an educator, uh, one of the things um, I teach in a middle school, uh, one of the things um, that's um, easy to overlook, um, but very important to look at, is the little things that students do. Right? So, I'll tell the student, I'll tell their parents, uh, the boy or the girl who packs their bag the night before, it's a small thing. But it's a significant thing when you look 20, 30 years down the line. Uh, a child who has a little bit of self-discipline, right? Might seem like a tiny little thing. Fast forward 15 years, it's actually enormous. The habits that we form now, the tiny little things make an enormous difference. Don't despise small beginnings. Have faith. Have faith that little things like seeds turn into godly harvests for the people of God and for this world. Amen. And so when we look at the building project of Ezra, Nehemiah, we see the prophets Zechariah and Haggai telling people don't despise small things. We can get to see their, uh, their, their outcome and they're right. Because whatever we do unto the Lord will produce a harvest in God's perfect time. And I think in some ways it's to ground us socially, grounded in New York. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, God is touching a lot of people. Um, and a lot of them are small. But we dare not despise small things. Because just as this parable teaches this, this small mustard seed becomes a plant that blesses nothing less than the world. Not just the fowl of the air, the beasts of the field, but the people of the nations as well. Small beginnings. Don't despise them because they're born out of the grace of God. So what's the second application? The second application is one of faithfulness. 
Okay? And I think we need this um, emphasis on faithfulness because we might have this, this faith that says, you know, I believe in small things. I'm going to put my heart into these small things. And I know that it seems insignificant in the, the eyes of the world. And to be honest, it probably looks insignificant even in the eyes of uh, my fellow believers. But I believe in God and the resurrection of Christ and this, this principle of the seed, so I'm going to do it. And so that person takes a step of faith, not despising small things. Rightfully so. Beautiful. Amen. Awesome. Uh, but there comes a point where you kind of want to throw the towel and say, oh man, this is hard. But there, there is, there is um, uh, the importance of faithfulness at that point. And uh, I can take you to a wonderful passage, and, and that comes from the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. And Paul is writing to the Galatians, and the Galatians, um, in this context, started off really well with faith. Um, they had a spectacular experience of God, and so they turned from their former life to God. Uh, but then after that good start, that good small beginning, false teachers began to infiltrate their community, and they turned away from God. And so Paul's strongest rebukes are actually found in Galatians, um, right in the middle. Um, and so he rebukes them in love as a, a father uh, would have a son. So uh, he's loving, uh, pouring love upon this congregation at Galatia. Um, but he ends off on another gentle note of exhortation. Um, so just in the middle of the rebuke at the end, he's building them up. And one of the final things that he says, and he uses this, this imagery of seeds actually at the end. And he says, God can't be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And if you sow in the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. But if you sow in the spirit, you will reap from the spirit. This is the context of Galatians chapter 6. And he says, do not lose heart. Continue to do good. Don't lose heart. Because if you persist, God in his perfect time will give you a harvest. Don't lose heart. He's, he's showing, yeah, Galatians, seeds were sown in you. You sow seeds. Now don't lose heart. Because at the time that God determines that he will produce a harvest for the people of God. And so I want to encourage um, our congregation um, this morning that the work of God starts small and indetectable in a lot of ways. It might not have fanfare, but that's okay. That's completely okay. Because that's the way God works. And in the end, there will always be a harvest for the people of God. And that's my encouragement for this congregation this morning. So why don't we do this? For the next couple of moments, why don't we just bow our heads um, and seal this message. And I just wanted to give a little time for us to pray. And when you hear a message like this, um, there might be people in this room where God has called you to something small and something insignificant. And uh, the world will say, well, that's really nothing. And in our sinfulness, we might say, well, it's really nothing as well. Uh, but I want you guys to realize not to despise small things. And I want you to realize that the little things that we do 
Um, God will never forget. And God is working. So I'm going to play a little bit of the guitar. I, I don't think I need to play. I think I'm okay. To reflect on the things that God has called you to do. To be encouraged. And also the things that you're doing, um, which might seem small in the eyes of the world, are actually enormous in God's eyes.
parts of God to see. Um, this principle of uh, growing seed. That something so small can uh, be a blessing to uh, nothing less than this world and the nations. So Lord God, I pray that uh, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would know from the bottom of our hearts, whatever we do, Lord God, is never rendered meaningless, uh, but will always have its intended hearts. So Lord God, I pray that you strengthen all of our hands, strengthen our resolve, Lord God, uh, to not lose heart, to put our hearts to whatever you call us, Lord God. Not to lose hope, but to be refueled and recharged to serve and love you, Lord God. Knowing that they will always be a harvest. God, maybe not an audience of many, but an audience of one. For you, Lord God, for your Lord. So strengthen us in the way uh, your spirit does. We thank you for reminding us this morning, Ben, of uh, this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.